Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. The reading today is taken from Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verse 23, to chapter 3, verse 6. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, He entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus heals on the Sabbath. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Priya, so much. Well, good morning again. It's lovely to uh, be here with you this morning. I wonder what you think the most valuable thing that you own is. What's the most valuable thing that you own? Hold that thought. At the coronation, the queen, like every monarch, was given a Bible. And as she was given that Bible, the Archbishop of Canterbury said these words. He said, we present you with this book, the most valuable thing this world affords. The Bible. The most valuable thing this world affords. It's quite something to say to one of the materially richest people on the planet, isn't it? But nevertheless, I believe that's true. It is so valuable because it contains, actually as the same coronation service goes on to say, the lively oracles of God, which is a slightly flowery way of basically saying in it, we hear God speak. Right there, 
in the pages of Scripture, heaven breaks through into our world. I wonder whether you see the Bible like that too. Of course, many people in today's world don't, don't see it like that. Even some Christians are not quite so sure. Could a single ancient compilation of religious texts by many human authors, could it really be that significant? And frankly, even if it is really significant, what exactly do we do with it? How do we approach the Bible in a way that is genuinely of value today? Now, these are deeply important questions that we could spend a very long time in deep philosophical discussions about them. But for us as Christians, it seems to me that the best and relatively simple place to start is to look at Jesus himself. How should we approach the Bible? Well, let's see what we can learn from how Jesus approaches it. And that's what we're going to see this morning in this issue of keeping the Sabbath. Over the past few weeks, we've been uh, making our way through the early chapters of the Gospel of Mark. We've been seeing Jesus challenge these, the religious authorities of his day on some of the key questions about God and his relationship to us. And it's, it's eye-opening stuff. And today, we see Jesus in an encounter with them that gets down to how we approach God's word. And it all comes out of a disagreement uh, about what we should do when we have a day off work. And we're going to see four principles here. Number one, reading the Bible like Jesus means don't add to it. Number two, it means don't take away from it. Number three, it means read it as a whole. And number four, it means see him in it. So first, reading the Bible like Jesus means don't add to it. Mark chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, what is going on here, and what does it matter? Well, let me explain. The Pharisees, they were a group of Jewish religious leaders. They were particularly zealous for God's law, all 613 commandments of it in the first five books of the Bible. And they wanted to keep that law. It was a matter of obedience to God, quite right in principle. We should, after all, obey God. So, for example, they were very keen to keep the fourth commandment, keep the Sabbath day holy. The Sabbath was a Jewish day of rest, Friday evening to Saturday evening. But the Pharisees wondered, well, what did it mean, actually, to keep it holy? Well, they, like the rest of the Jews, would have spent some time reading the rest of their Bibles, and uh, that would have helped them. So they might have looked at verses like Deuteronomy 5.13. It says in Deuteronomy 5.13, On the Sabbath you shall not do any work. And then it explains who's not to do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey. Don't be chasing your donkey around today. Or any of your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Now from there and other places, they understood keeping the Sabbath holy means not doing any work. And there's that little bit about letting those who work for you rest too. And we're going to get back to that later on. The main point, on the Sabbath, you're not supposed to work. But here's where things went a bit wrong with the Pharisees. Work meant productive activity. This is, remember, this is time way before timesheets and billable hours and so forth. But that raised the question, 
What exactly constitutes productive activity? The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, thought, look, people need a bit of help here, don't they? We, we, better, we better devise some additional rules. I mean, you wouldn't want to accidentally disobey the fourth commandment, would you, by, for example, rubbing out a drawing that you had made. You may think I'm joking, but seriously, that's the kind of place their heads went to in this connection. According to the Pharisees, erasing, erasing constitutes work. Therefore, no erasers on the Sabbath. And that's just one of the 39 categories of different work that they had to clarify what exactly you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. Now, I'm guessing we probably find this a little bit difficult to connect with, um, but you know the 39 laws, uh, the 39 categories of work are still going to this day. Jeremy put me onto this. I looked it up. You can do, do so on Wikipedia when you have a free moment. Look up Shabbat elevator. In Israel today, Jewish communities around the world, the lifts have a Sabbath mode. Because you see, another one of the 39 forms of work that is forbidden is igniting a fire. And nowadays, igniting a fire is extrapolated to cover the operation of any electrical equipment, because you might spark it when you switch it on. And so, when you come to a lift, you're not supposed to press the button that calls the lift, because that would be a violation of the Sabbath. So what they have, they have the Sabbath mode on the lift, which means for that day, all day, the lift just goes up and down all day, unstopping, all the way up to the top, opens the first door, opens the next one, opens the next one, so you can get on it. It takes a bit longer to get downstairs, but at least you haven't broken the Sabbath. Now, you could kind of see where all of this started, can't you? It probably started in a good place. But as that shows, and the incident with Jesus does too, this kind of thinking doesn't end well. The Pharisees see Jesus and his disciples walking through a field on the Sabbath. The disciples are a bit hungry. So they take a couple of ears of corn and pop them in. And the Pharisees say, ah, stop, you're doing work. They were, of course, thinking of category number three, which is reaping, as you will be familiar. Uh, reaping, I mean, it can hardly be called reaping, just taking a couple of corns, but anyway, they, 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 weren't, they weren't bothered about that. This was a violation of the Sabbath. This is exactly the problem with this nation, the Pharisees were saying to themselves. The last thing we need is an influential figure like this guy, Jesus with his uneducated band, sending us even further down the road of Sabbath desecration. If these guys really loved God, they would be following our rules. If they really loved God, they would be following our rules. And actually, if Jesus was a proper religious teacher, he wouldn't be letting it go either. Now, of course, that's the stage where things have gone disastrously wrong. Because loving God does involve following his rules, but his rules, not our rules. Somewhere down the road of trying to clarify what it means to obey God, they'd ended up adding to God's law. And they'd made all these great burdens for the people that God does not require. And it made them rather unpleasant people to be with too, didn't it? Constantly auditing the behavior of other people around them. Say, oh, I caught you out. You're getting it wrong over there. Let me say, if you've come across that kind of experience in churches, I'm so sorry. 
That's not what Jesus is about. And so as Christians, we need to be super careful that we don't fall into the same kind of thing, binding ourselves or other people to rules that you don't find in the Scriptures. Now, here's the thing. You can entertain yourself a little bit by seeing how other generations did this and think, that's so silly. We would never do that. We just want to be careful. Christians in in the past, for example, in, in other cultures, have been convicted about the terrible damage caused by alcohol addiction. Fair enough. And so they've chosen not to drink. Also, totally fair enough. But then they've made that into a law for their churches. If you drink, it's a sin. It doesn't say that in the Bible. At uh, one time, I don't know whether um, we, we have uh, people of this vintage in our, in our congregation, um, dancing or even going to the cinema was deemed sinful. Uh, to be clear, I think both of those are fine. You'll struggle to find that in the Bible. But what about in our time? Are there any things that we are inclined to add It's a bit harder to spot when you're in the middle of it. Perhaps it's the daily quiet time. You know, time set aside for the Bible and prayer every day. That, by the way, is a fantastic thing to do. I absolutely recommend it. The Bible gives examples of people spending time daily meditating on God's Word. It's a great idea. But God forbid that we should suddenly get to this point where we think, oh, it's a sin. I've missed it today. I've sinned. Or perhaps we might fall into legalism on our environmental habits. Now, look, there are wonderful things that we can do to preserve and protect our planet, and Christians are supposed to do those things. But let's not start suggesting that one single thing, I don't know, the fuel type of your vehicle, must be electric, not diesel, or whether you do reusable nappies, anything less than that would would be unacceptable, or whether you fly, never allowed to do that. Let's not make any of those things some kind of direct matter of obedience to Scripture, because Scripture doesn't speak specifically to them. Or perhaps it might be about politics. Now, I think we should, as Christians, we should be free to support a political party, and we should be free also to let our faith help us think about who we support. But we don't want to be in a church community where you're not really in unless you join X party. You've got to believe all the Scriptures and also be blue or red. Or unless you scowl every time Y gives a speech or or whatever. Now, I don't know what really is relevant for you, where you think the possibility of adding to God's word is. Give that some thought. We're not to add to God's word. That's the first thing. The next ones are going to come a bit more quickly. The second thing is, don't take away from God's word. Don't take away from God's word. It's interesting how Jesus responds to the Pharisees, isn't it? I mean, what would you have said to the Pharisees when they, when they said that? If we went with our kind of contemporary Western culture, we'd probably say something like this. Oh, Pharisees, oh, get over yourselves. All this religion by the book stuff, look, it's so crusty, it's just so fake. Just live a little, get over yourselves. It really doesn't matter so much. That's what we might have said. That's not actually quite what Jesus says. He does criticize the Pharisees for not grasping the bigger picture. But actually, he comes back at them with more Bible. His accusation is, actually, have you never read? Have you never read? He says, Mark 2, 25. He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? King David, back in the Old Testament. In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. It's an occasion, we'll have been familiar with them. The special bread uh, was held in the tabernacle. It was the holiest place in Israel. And the rule was, 
No one's allowed to go in there apart from the priests. But the priest let David and his men go in there because they were hungry. And he passed no comment. Now Jesus is saying, look, here's the logic, right? If that was okay, surely it's okay for my guys to walk through a field and just have a couple of grains of corn. Do you see what he's saying? You see, he's saying don't add to the Bible, but also don't take away from it. Don't ignore the other bits. Don't be so zealous about following this one that you fail to grasp that one. Read all of it. And notice, by the way, Jesus expects quite a decent knowledge of the Bible here, doesn't he? He's expecting that we navigate life by doing some serious biblical reflection. I wonder when you're faced with a difficult decision, oh, what's the right thing to do here? What's the wrong thing to do? Do you, do you come back to the Bible and think, well, what, what does it say in the Bible here? That's why we teach the Bible every Sunday here. That's why we want to put it at the center of our home groups and, and, and uh, we encourage bi- personal Bible study and so forth. The Bible's like a road map. Not always easy to read, but a wonderful compass for life. So don't take any of it away. So if that, don't add to it. Don't take anything away. But also read it thirdly as a whole. Read it as a whole. Read it as a whole, by which I mean try to grasp the balance and the way that different parts of Scripture exist in proportion. Now, where do I get that from? Well, we could have had it there in the consecrated bread bit. Or how about verse 27? Jesus says to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus has read Scripture as a whole. And from it, he's picked up that the Sabbath was made for man. It's it's for our benefit. All these laws about having a day of rest are actually for our good. Perhaps, actually, he had in mind that verse from Deuteronomy that I shared with you earlier about having a Sabbath so that your servants could have a rest too. And actually, that might be one of the problems in our culture right now, mind it, that we, we have this always-on you know, city that never sleeps, and, and that's really convenient for us. But often that is achieved at the expense of the poorest in our city, who are the people who man the 24-7 trading and the transport and the technical support or, or whatever. But the, but the bigger point here is that Jesus is showing how you read the whole of Scripture together, you see God, God intends for his laws to be followed for our good. Now, I don't know whether you ever find this, but sometimes I think we think God is sort of just playing one massive, unhinged game of Simon Says with his commands. Let's see. I'm going to ask them to kind of throw five fingers out and, on, on one side and see if they all do it, you know, just, to, just for power's sake. He's not like that. He doesn't get a kick out of our obedience for himself. He, he loves us, and he gives us his law for our good. And, of course, the same thing comes out later in the chapter, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill. You know, when Jesus is wondering, should I heal this guy? Jesus is guided by reading Scripture as a whole. Now, this may be a good moment to, um, to talk a little bit about Sabbath keeping. I wonder if you are a keen Sabbath keeper, if Sundays are a big thing for you. I'm guessing probably these days, most of us have the opposite problem from the Pharisees. We're not particularly legalistic about our Sabbath. And that's good. That's great. Because, for example, we're okay about Christian nurses and doctors saving people's lives on a Sunday. That's great. We can get our heads around some church staff taking a day of rest on another day of the week other than Sunday because they're working all day. That's great. Our problem is probably that we're much more likely to ignore the benefit of day of rest altogether. Our culture it values achievement, business. And the problem is 
Uh, we, we have this thing with flexible working, don't we? And we fail to grasp that just because it's flexible doesn't mean you don't actually have to do it. You still have to do it. And so actually we get super, super busy. And the idea of taking some time off just feels rather difficult to do. And it's a bit embarrassing talking about this with you personally because um, I'm going to have to come clean on this. Um, having planned my week rather poorly, I found myself in a highly ironic predicament of spending my day of rest finishing a sermon all about making sure we keep a day of rest. <laughs> so uh, I, I know what we're talking about. And sorry, that's not that kind of annoying, humble bragging thing. I, I don't think that was very wise or godly uh, of me to do that. So, yeah, we don't need to worry about the 39 categories of work, I think. But a full day of rest is for our good. A day of rest for our bodies to recover. Um, a day of rest in which we find spiritual refreshment too, through worship, through fellowship with other Christians and in the quiet. And I don't know whether this is going to be relevant for anyone. I know it's true for me. Sometimes that's a bit of a fight. We've got to really believe that that's for our good because all, all the time there's stuff going, you could be doing this and you could go there and you could have this activity and you could do this more thing and your life would be even more fulfilled or whatever. Sometimes it's time to rest. So that is read the Bible as a whole. And, and lastly and very briefly, find Christ in it. Reading the Bible like Jesus means finding him in it. Verse 27 Jesus says something really quite extraordinary. I wonder whether you saw it as we go. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Fair enough. And then he says, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Son of Man is talking about himself. In the midst of all of this final discussion about how you keep the law, Jesus drops in this bombshell. He says, you know that day that you're supposed to specially set aside for God? Well, I am Lord of it. Now, what's he saying? He's saying, at least, look, um, I'm in charge of the rules. In fact, I could change them if I wanted to. But I think he's probably saying more than that. He's probably saying, this day is actually about me. I am the thing that the Sabbath is all about. What does he mean? Well, Jesus came to give us Sabbath rest, proper Sabbath rest. Not just one day in seven, which arrests, though it's good, let's face it, still suffers all the downsides of a broken world. Jesus came to give us a future, an eternal rest. You know that moment you sink down on your sofa just after lunch on a Sunday? Well, I hope you manage to have some kind of moment like that. That is a tiny glimpse of what it will feel like in the eternal rest that Jesus promises us. A time when the fever of life is over and our work is done. He secured that for us by his death and resurrection. And I want to encourage you to look, even as you think about your own Sabbath, through that to the rest that Jesus promises us in eternity. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church.
God bless you and have a wonderful week. Bye.